0: Today on Blue 58, we have a unique opportunity right now to talk about something that affects just about all of us. Let's not waste it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of Powersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode. A couple of shows back, I did something that I think that I got wrong. I weighed in on a current social issue to tell you in short that I would not be weighing in, that we wouldn't be talking about what was going on in the United States and around the world on this podcast. All of these protests sparked by the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, many, many others. And I've thought about what I said on that show a lot. And I think it could be taken in a way that comes across as being maybe dismissive of what's going on in the world today, or maybe like abdicating responsibility, saying, "Ah, I just would rather not deal with that, so we're not going to. And at least one of you felt that that was the case and reached out to tell me so. Podcast listener Damien and I have been emailing back and forth over the past week And I think I'd like to take another stab at discussing this, because I'm sure if he feels that way, there are other people who who might think that way, too. And plus, this is an important time, I think, in our country. And we've got a unique opportunity, even if what is going on now doesn't ultimately change anything, we've got an opportunity to at least talk about why it's happening. And if you're not up for talking about racism on this podcast, or you don't think this is the venue for that, I get that. You certainly don't have to take part in this conversation. I've put a time code for the next part of the show. We're going to be talking more about Take Your Eye Off the Ball, Chapter 12. If you want to jump ahead to that part of the podcast, go ahead. But I think we can talk about racism in our country as it pertains to the world of sports in a smart way, in a way that helps us understand things a little bit better on the show. And I I think we should do that. So here we go. I realize there is a chance this could just be another white dude talking about racism. I get that. If, you, if, that's, if that's your take too, feel free to tell me to go take hike, but these are just gonna be a few thoughts here. Um, this, is, this is kind of where I'm at on this stuff. America has a problem with racism. I don't think that's deniable after the past couple of weeks. I think we, we've pretty well established that we got a ways to go on that. And I think it's pretty clear that this isn't just about police and black people, or brown people, or white people, this sort of stuff, racism, racist attitudes, bias, prejudice, some sort of stuff on that spectrum shows up in just about every part of our culture. And I think to pretend that there's a part of our culture that isn't affected by it is kind of naive. And I think, for my part, I've been a little bit naive in my thoughts about race in the past. And I think a lot of that has to do with my upbringing. So I'm from a place called Cedar Grove, Wisconsin. If you are familiar at all with the east part, eastern part of the state of Wisconsin, you've probably been by it at one point. There's very little reason for you to ever have been there for any extended amount of time. But if you've traveled from Milwaukee to Green Bay, you've been by where I'm from. It's pretty close to Sheboygan, 10-15 minutes away, a little small Dutch community of about 2,000 people. And just because it's Dutch, you can pretty well guess that it's a little white town. There's 98-99% white people there. I did not see a black person in my hometown until I was probably 8 or 9 years old. And then I think it was... um, the son of a missionary that came to our church one summer. I was the first black kid my age that I ever met. We didn't have a minority person that we interacted with regularly in Cedar Grove until I was probably about that same age, eight or nine years old. And it happened, I'm sorry to say, in the most stereotypical way, uh, an Indian man and his wife bought a gas station in Cedar Grove. I, I swear that's what happened. Uh, But hey, Um, so that is the, the background that I come from to this conversation. And I think the biggest part of this for me and realizing why it's important to talk about this is recognizing that not everybody has the same life experience that I do. And I think maybe a better way to put that is something that I think you can relate to regardless of your race. Uh, your parents so i grew up in the stereotypical american nuclear family my dad went to work my mom stayed home with me and my brother it just was the two of us and my mom and my dad we had a dog and uh and that was life went to school played sports all the stuff like that and if you watch tv watch sitcoms whatever growing up you start to think that everybody tends to live that way, but in reality, that's obviously not the case. Well, and bet a good number of you listening out there came from single-parent households or had parents who were divorced or had a parent who passed away. Or maybe you didn't live with either of your parents at all and you lived with a grandparent or something like that. It took a long time for me to really internalize the fact that most people... well. Maybe most people do grow up like I did, but a good number of people don't. And it took me even longer to figure out that that has a lot of effects on how you live the rest of your life. The same is true for the sort of racial environment that you grow up in and the sort of racial things that affect you or or happen to you as a result of the race that you are. The bottom line is this, racism affects people. And football, to bring it into this thing that I think we know a little bit more about, football, if nothing else, is a game of people. For my money, the greatest team sport in the world. If you want to get anything done in football, you've got to have at least 11 guys working all together on a play. You got to get your people sorted out, or you're going to have problems. And I think at least in this community that I've tried to build with this show, this website, I think as Packers fans, we care about the players we root for as people, not just as entertainers or athletes. And with that in mind, recognizing that as a white person, there's a good chance that the people I'm rooting for on the field are going to be a different race than me if I'm following the NFL. I think it's important to talk about how racism affects people we care about. If there's going to be a bunch of people out there who are a different race than me, and racism is affecting them, it's on me to understand what that's like. Because otherwise, I'm not going to understand these people very well. Plus, racism strikes me as not being very smart. And we're all trying to be smarter people, right? And you know, we want to have smart conversations about important things, right? Right. I think we can all agree about that. Here's an example of why racism just isn't plain very smart. At the absolute basis level, if you are a sports fan and you want your team to do well, you want your team to have access to the best possible players possible. The most possible good players possible, right? Right. Now let's say you eliminated just an entire race of people from the players you're considering to be on your football team. That'd put you behind the eight ball in a serious way, right? Right. So why would you limit yourself? Think about the opportunities we've missed as football fans, as sports fans, in general, because players weren't allowed to participate because of their race. One of my favorite sports books ever is called Satchel. It's by an author named Larry Tye. It's all about Satchel Paige. It details most of his life in the Negro Leagues and his very, very short stints in Major League Baseball. He was, for my money, probably the greatest pitcher that ever lived. He certainly is the most interesting. But he never really got a fair shot to play in Major League Baseball at his peak because of the color of his skin and a whole host of other things that went along with that. What did we lose? Just as sports fans, not as human beings, not as people who were part of a system that discriminated against him for whatever reason, just as sports fans, what did we miss out on? Just because people like Satchel Page were not allowed to play at the highest level, on the biggest stage. At the very least, look at it from that perspective. Think about what you're missing out on. Think about the people you're maybe putting in a position to not do something they enjoy. That's what racism does to you. That's not very smart. So, in light of that, I've put together a short resource guide for trying to understand some of this stuff a little bit better. It's available at thepowersweep.com right now. It's called Resources on Race and the NFL. There's a link to it in your show notes, too. I've got a dozen or so articles there, and I'll talk through a couple of them here real quickly, that I think are just going to help you have better conversations and and put a little bit of this stuff in context. There's there's three sections to this reading guide, past, present, and future reading. The past section is all about kind of how we got to this point in the NFL. What racial conditions was the NFL born into? What racial conditions did it kind of come of age in as it became a major professional sports league. Those things are worth considering and put a little context around why things are the way they are. In that past section, you're going to learn about Walter Jean, who may have been the first black Packers player in Packers history. You'll also learn that he may have gone to some significant lengths to conceal his racial identity, and it wasn't until many, many years later that we actually learned at all about who this guy may have been and what he was about. And it's important to understand why he may have hid his racial identity in the first place. I've also included a link to a book called Undefeated. It's about Jim Thorpe and the Carlisle Indian School football team. Jim Thorpe, if you don't know, is considered probably the greatest athlete of the 20th century. He's a great football player. He's a professional baseball player. He won the decathlon at the Olympics, And He also happened to be a Native American, and there was a whole host of issues that went along with being a Native American around turn-of-the-century America, and I'm not talking about the year 2000, I'm talking about the 1900s. When he was in his prime athletically, it was a very, very different world than we're in right now, and that affected football as well. Uh, But he used football, and his school used football as a way to put Native American students on equal footing with white people and they, for large part, did. They succeeded. The Carlisle Indian School was near unstoppable on the field, but uh, there was a whole bunch of things that went into just getting them to the point where they could play that other schools didn't have to deal with, and other stuff they didn't have to put up with. Money, uh, just out now bigotry, stuff like that. So that's something that you're going to want to potentially take a look at. Got some good links in there about how the NFL was not segregated, then became segregated, and then the color barrier was broken in the in the early 40s. You're going to want to give that one a little bit of a read too. Just... Um, just if only for the opportunity to to laugh at the Washington Redskins. And just the name Redskins is an entirely different issue, one that we don't have to d- time to dive into today. But they were the last team to desegregate, and they had to be forced to uh, to segregate, or to desegregate, to integrate. Um, and it took some pretty heavy hitters to get that done. So that's what you'll find in the past section. In the present section, got stuff about being a black quarterback, in the NFL, how hard it is to get a coaching or general manager job if you're a, if you're a black man, and you would not believe some of the numbers here. Um, and then solutions: How do we get past this? How do we get to a point where you don't need things like the Rooney Rule? And the, is the Rooney Rule even a good idea? Spoiler alert: Probably not, because it's it's not really doing a whole lot. Um, but but understanding that you can say, "Hey, this needs to be fixed," and I don't know how. I think is okay, Um, but getting to that point where where you say where you can recognize that it's a problem is important. Then, in further reading, um, some scholarly papers from a a few uh, academic research journals. I know that sounds like a a really bad pitch as far as getting you to read stuff, but there's some really interesting data in there. For instance, this uh, this one article called "Status of Blacks as Major College Football Coaches." was written in the late 90s, 98, 99 school year. Uh, but this this line really jumped out to me, and the whole article is worth a read because it's got stuff in there. Uh, quoting from the article now, quote, Nearly 70% of the black college coaches we surveyed agreed to some extent that their job security and career opportunities are not related to their ability to coach on the football field, end quote. Basically, a lot of coaches, uh, at least in, in that time, thought they were being taken on as, as sort of token Token black men, I guess you can say that, but um I share all this stuff with you in hopes of, like I said, helping us continue to become smarter football fans, smarter people, because, like I said, racism not very smart, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting human beings and and we don't need to limit ourselves this way we can we can move past this, and we can do better, and understanding or or recognizing what you don't know is part of that process. So that's my speech. That's, those are all my cards on the table. Love it, hate it. Um, that's what I got. And I think that we can continue this conversation in a smart way and talk about these sort of issues in a smart way, not a patronizing way, not a way that you're just doing it to score points. Um, we need to actually care about each other. And this is one way to do that, just by understanding what other people are going through. Sound good? Good. Let's do something completely different. Let's talk about take your eye off the ball. We're in chapter 12 here. Pat Kerwin is talking about something very important, football intelligence. This one's interesting to me because football intelligence is something I think we all understand is important, but how do you measure it? That is the million-dollar question because if you could figure out how to do it, um, you could make probably better decisions about the sort of players that you add to your football team. One thing I noticed that he doesn't mention in this chapter is the Wunderlich Test. The Wunderlich Test that is given to NFL players at the NFL Combine as a supposed measure of their intelligence. It's a lot like the SAT, the ACT, a lot of standardized test, a lot of conceptual thinking in there. It's timed, it's 50 questions. And it's pretty roundly criticized as being basically worthless. And I would agree. I've taken it a couple times. I think my best personal score is 36. Um, I've taken a sample version, that is. And there are a couple sample versions out there that you can take. It's it's tough. Uh, I hate taking time tests. It's really annoying. Don't like it. Prefer not to do it if I can get, get away with it. But uh, just for research purposes, I took it. And I think that you can see why guys struggle with it. And this is actually something um, that I have seen popping up in higher ed, uh, h- higher ed, excuse me, like colleges and universities more too. Uh, a lot of schools are getting away from using the SAT and the ACT as an entrance requirement because there are a lot of different factors um, that go into how well you are able to take this test. A lot of it actually has to do with your race and your economic background, because if you tend to come from a poorer background, chances are the school that you went to wasn't quite as good either. And schools that are not quite as good tend to have worse access to prep materials and and ability to uh, prepare you for standardized testing. So that's true at just about every level. So in order to be less biased in selection process, a lot of higher ed institutions are going away from that kind of standardized testing. And I see think you can see the NFL kind of headed that direction as well. Nevertheless, it does have some value, I think, in that it's just standardized. Everybody knows kind of what the Wonderlick is and it gives you a ballpark figure on at least how, how good a guy is at, at taking a test that everybody knows is coming. We have a database of Wonderlick scores, at the powersweep.com, as many as we've been able to collect, I think we're well over a hundred names now. Um, it's not an exhaustive list, but you get an idea of who scores well and who scores, who scores poorly. The current highest score in our database is Clark Harris, who was drafted by the Packers as a tight end, converted to a long snapper. He scored a 40 on the Wonderlick, so a real smart guy. Uh, Aaron Rodgers right up there near the top as well with a 35. Hunter Hillenmeyer, a linebacker, right up there too near the top with a 39. Just a couple names you might recognize. So the Wonderlick limited value, but it's still sticking around and you can learn a little bit more about that. I'll throw a link to the Wonderlick test in your show notes as well. Corwin also talks about the importance of information absorption. And I think this is something that needs to get driven home with people. When they talk about a player being stupid, you just got to remember how much information these guys have to absorb. I've referenced the site footballxos.com where you can take a look at real NFL playbooks. Here is a couple of facts that you might want to bear in mind just about Mike Holmgren's 1997 Packers offensive playbook. In that playbook, there are seven different personnel groupings. Seven different backfield alignments, eight different alignments for the running back alone, eight different motions for the running back, six different fullback motions, eight different tight end alignments, three different tight end motions. And that's not even the full offensive formation. you still got multiple wide receivers out there, motions that they can do. That's a lot of information for guys to be processing as they get it in the huddle. And boy, are they getting a lot of information in the huddle. Literally, the second play in Mike Holmgren's playbook reads like this Brown right, slot A right, 322 Y stick. You got to process the, all of that in the huddle, figure out what your job is, get to the line of scrimmage, analyze the defense across from you, analyze the guy who's lined up directly across from you, and do that all in less than 40 seconds. There's a lot of processing going on there. And yeah, it is these guys' full-time jobs to know how to process that information, but there's just a lot of stuff going on. And you got to make sure that you're getting guys who can process that information well. I also thought it was a really good point how he uh, called out, figuring out what kind of learner guys are. What kind of learner are you? Are you an auditory learner? Do you learn from people... Uh, speaking to you, I sure hope so. If you're listening to a podcast, hello, auditory learners right now. Are you a visual learner? Do you like to see things up on, on a whiteboard? Are you a tactile learner? Do you learn by doing? All of these are important factors. And getting through to guys, or rather coaches who are able to get through to guys are probably gonna be the ones who figure out how best to just get through to people who learn in different ways. Because with if you've got 60, 65 guys on your roster, counting the practice squad and and various other guys you have hanging around, you're going to have a few different learning styles in there. So how do you communicate your information effectively? Finally, how do you really evaluate intelligence? He pointed out Bill Belichick's method of explaining some things to some guys and then asking it back to, or asking them to repeat it back to him. And I think it'd be great if more coaches did things like that. I think more coaches are doing things like that. But this actually reminded me of something that, that is common, although less so based on the research that I did today um, in the medical profession, specifically uh, surgery, if you're learning to be a surgeon, the C one, do one, teach one method. So say you're learning how to do this new, I don't know, knee surgery procedure. You'd watch some surgeon do one. You would then do one yourself, and then you would teach somebody else how to do one. By that point, you've gotten instruction from a a master person. You've done it yourself, and then you've processed that information effectively enough that you could teach somebody else how to do it as well. By that point, that information is going to be in your brain pretty firmly, and I think that's probably a pretty great way to get football information into your brain as well. In fact, this season I played college football, we did something pretty similar to that. We had playbook buddies. So every freshman player was assigned to an older player from their same position group to ask questions about specific plays and what they were supposed to do when they were on the field. And you were supposed to shadow that person during practice every day. And if there was a play that you had a question about, you were supposed to ask them first. And if they couldn't answer it, then you would ask a coach. But that just reinforced first Uh, team relationships, building those relationships within your team, but also everyone on the team who is in a position of leadership, knowing the playbook well enough that they could teach it. And then that takes some of the burden off your coaches having to teach things, but also um, make sure that you've got a good core of experienced players who know what you're doing. The bottom line, again, is that football important or intelligence is very important. It's tough to know exactly how to quantify it, but there are ways that you can do it, and figuring out what those ways are that work well if you're a football team are very important as well. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. Thanks to everybody who takes the time to download one of these episodes, to tune in, to support what we're doing, all of those fine things. If you think somebody would have benefited from this episode, go ahead and share it with them. I would appreciate that. It mean a lot to me, and we would continue to expand and continue this conversation around the Green Bay Packers because that, as I always say, is how we're going to help everybody become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.